Welcome to Well Grounded. This is Randy Conan from the Red River Farm Network. And this is Jason Menke from Acres and Shares. This podcast brings together experts from the world of agriculture and real estate. We'll talk about farmland values, industry trends, and the economy. In this edition of Well Grounded, our guest is Jake Franklin. Jake is a CPA and shareholder with Brady Martz and Associates in the Grand Forks office. He works primarily in tax with a focus on agribusiness industry. Welcome, Jake. Thanks for having me. As we get started, Jake, let's, it's tax season. We're right in the heart of tax season. We just had some big changes, at least a delay for the general people with taxes. Is that widespread? Does everybody have that to get that tax deadline pushed back, or is that just, just certain people? So the deadline pushback relates to Form 1040. So think individual income tax returns. Uh, and it's limited to that and the payment that's related to that 1040. It does not cover the first quarter estimates towards 2021. Uh, it is simply just an extension till May 17th of the, the 2020 form 1040. Jake, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the show today or on the podcast is with the new Biden administration, there's been talk about some tax law changes. So I thought it might be helpful for our listeners if you wanted to give them a background on, we'll maybe just start with capital gains. We'll move on to a couple of issues on just where the capital gains rates are at today. So currently the capital gains rates are 0%, 15%, and 20%. And essentially what's been proposed is to add another layer on top of that, where north of a million dollars of taxable income capital gains would be taxed at ordinary rates instead of capital gain rates. And that tax rate would be 39.6%. Sometimes there can be some misconceptions about just exactly what a 15% capital gains rate means. I'll meet with clients and they will uh, be selling land or selling beet stock or, or whatever it is. And they will assume, well, it's capital gains, so that means it's 15%. Uh, but really, it, it depends on what else is on the tax return with it, right? Those are the marginal tax rates. So if the, if the other income on that tax return uh, is substantial, right, the capital gain, I kind of like to put it that the capital gain is the cream that, that rises to the top. So across my other taxable income, if I have, say, $100,000 of other income, that capital gain is going to sit on top of there and would be taxed at 15%. The, the breaking points for those, the 0% rate ends at about $75,000 for a joint return. And, but you got to think that all that other income is going to be, uh, is going to soak up that 0% first at ordinary rates. It's, it's a really confusing topic to, to talk about. So if I give you the short answer, 0%, 15%, and 20%. Now, the Biden administration has proposed moving that from, from where it is currently and essentially just adding another layer on top. So north of a million dollars, it would go to the ordinary rates, right? So my I have a million dollars in capital gains, my million and first dollar would be taxed at ordinary rates, which would be 39.6% under their proposal. That's really a big deal because you think of uh, a lot of folks that I deal with as land sellers, they're, they're middle-class people. And you could easily have a, a land sale of over a million dollars. So that's, that's a huge implication potentially. It is. It's almost a doubling 
north of a million dollars. So it's kind of additive too then. It's not, it's not just one bracket. It's this one will add on top of this one. Right. It's, it's, everything is marginal, right? So it, it's, it's always kind of hard to answer the question, well, I have this capital gain. What am I going to pay on that capital gain? And I always, I give my favorite tax answer, which is it depends, right? It depends on what else is on there. So we, we live in a marginal world where this dollar costs me this much, this dollar costs me this much. And the proposal really is about that millionth and one dollar. That one is the one that's, that's likely going to go up. Sure. And that it's not just that one dollar. It triggers it back to the first dollar then too, right? It does not. It does not. It does not. No, it is, it is marginal, right? So if the only thing I have on my tax return is capital gains, if we completely ignore ordinary income, I'm going to get my first, if I'm married, I'm going to get my first 70000 for free no matter what else is on there, right? I can have $2 million of capital gains and that first 70 is going to be taxed at 0%. And then the next, let's call it 350, 375 is going to be taxed at 15. And then above that 20%. And then the new layer would be north of a million would be at 39.6. Certainly one of the catchphrases hitting the uh, headlines right now is is really the phrase it's not going to affect normal people uh it's it's just millionaires right so we all have different definitions of millionaires but one of the goals of this podcast as well is really to set a baseline um if somebody uh is a landowner if they're on the fence thinking about selling they really want to stay really pretty up to date on uh on the potential tax law changes Mm Does this include like the stepped up basis and those types of things too? So that's another topic, right? There, there's lots of different proposals out there. And I just can't imagine um, that all of them are going to land, right? I think, so I, I'll paint you a doomsday scenario, right? Where essentially if all the proposals are out there actually land, you know, we, we trigger 39.6% north of a million. We reduce the estate exemption from the, it's roughly 12 million today. And we pull that down to three and a half or 5 million. And then we also eliminate that stepped up basis. We could, we could really get into a scenario where essentially almost all of it is going to tax. So I'll get, I'll give you a a specific scenario. Um, Let's say someone has an estate of $15 million. And the estate exemption goes to $5 million down from where it is now at 12 million. And I pick five because it's easy math. And that gives me a taxable estate of about $10 million. Now the proposed estate tax rate would be 45%. So we're talking four and a half million dollars. Now imagine if all this 15 million is land. So I have to sell four and a half million dollars worth of land, right? Well, no, I got to sell more than that because I got to pay the tax because I didn't get a stepped up basis. And if the, and if this land was uh, purchased by the, by the uh, decedent, you know, back when Christ was a child, then, then we could ultimately get to a place where we're adding the 45% plus the 39.6% plus very likely a 3.8% Medicare surcharge those add up to almost 100%. So I just can't imagine that we're actually going to do every single one of these things. Can you imagine uh, if you're in a state that's 
let's just say it's a, it's a family farm and mom and dad own the bulk of the land and they pass away. And as, as you're saying in the doomsday scenario, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it would be disastrous for, for some of these family farms. Right, and I, di- I, didn't even, I didn't even give you state numbers in there, right? I mean, North, right. Dakota, North Dakota wouldn't be an issue, but imagine it's Minnesota. Could you essentially get to a place where you're north of 100% tax on that? Right. Let's just back up a step to, to the stepped-up basis. So I've, how I've always uh, explained it in layman's terms to folks is, you know, basically when you die, your heirs uh, will get the value as of the date of death. Is there a better way to explain that, Jake? I think that's a very good way of explaining it. I was wondering, too, with, of course, we're playing politics here with this. The Senate Republicans have come up with an idea of repealing what they're calling the death tax, which is what we're talking about here, basically. Mm -hmm. How does that change things, if if that would even find some traction? I think that that's essentially a non-starter. Right. That I think that the that the momentum at this moment, again, we're talking politics, um, that the the momentum at this point is to bring that uh, exemption amount down right from the 12 million where it is uh, during the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that passed back in December of 17, bringing it down. I think that the the Biden proposal has been three and a half million everything's in flux makes it hard to do any kind of estate planning at all doesn't it <laughs> yeah it's been uh ever since 2018 it's been a wild ride for tax law and we've even gotten to the place where in minnesota things are even retroactive right there's retroactive conformity right we're dealing with that right now where when we're filing 2020 tax returns we actually don't even know what the minnesota law is going to be for 2020 so it does make it incredibly hard. I know that during, right after the election, and even in the couple months preceding the election through the end of the year, it was a it was a big time for estate attorneys. Right, there was a lot of gifting that happened. It was a really good period of time to be a grandkid. So I, I know now we're we're into speculation on this, but. Uh really the tax law changes just uh, came surfaced again. They were part of the campaign. Um, they, they've really surfaced in the headlines here in, in the last uh, week or two. Uh, what are you reading, Jake, as far as, uh, you know, there's some speculation early on that these could be retroactive back to January 1st of 2021. You know, I think most people are thinking it would, if they were to kick in, it'd probably be 2022. Any thoughts there? I think it's unlikely that it would be retroactive to January 1st, 2021, but who knows, right? Um, it sure would be nice on me if they are going to do something that it would happen at the first of the year, uh, but it doesn't necessarily preclude them from doing a mid-year change for a state or even for income tax. How then do they, um, when they, does it go as they pass a law then, if they don't do it retroactively, or will they do it as, in the coming year? So generally what we see is they always, it becomes effective on 1-1 generally, right? That's what happened with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. There are some provisions that actually have weird cutoff dates. So think uh, there was bonus depreciation back in the Obama years uh, after the housing crisis that had a strange September 27th cutoff where stuff purchased before that date qualified for 50% depreciation. And stuff purchased after that date was 100% appreciation. So we, we can have these weird cutoffs, but in general, most things happen 
sort of year by year. They kind of do that with some of those sunset clauses then, with some yep. of the things. Yep, and and I wonder if that's not what we're going to be talking about here too because the they're trying to get this stuff through without the filibuster. Uh, my understanding is they have to use that Senate budget reconciliation process, which I believe is what they did with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which is why we do have a lot of sunsets, right? That the $12 million state exemption that I was talking about sunsets, and we go back to the Obama era number of $5 million, but inflation adjusted, it's actually closer to $6 million. Uh, that happens in 2026. And so I'm I'm almost wondering if maybe some of these changes, if they're gonna if they're gonna push them through in that manner, aren't gonna have some sunset clauses on them as well. What are considerations for for landowners at this time? Um, you know, obviously there's there's people that'll listen to this that uh, will will have a long term perspective where this might not have any real impact on them because you know it's part of its politics and it'll it'll change over the course of time. But if somebody's uh, Looking at selling land in the short term, uh, what should be their considerations? Well, I guess you have to understand what the possibilities are, right? I would, uh, you know, you hate you hate to. What I really hate to see is for people to make uh, non-tax decisions simply because of tax reasons, right? I have to hurry up and sell this land because the tax rates might go up. I think, I mean, that's part of the overall conversation that you have. Um, but let's not forget there's real world implications too, not just tax world implications. Yeah, There are some things though too that help mitigate some of those taxes, isn't there? Yeah, from an estate perspective, um, yes. And, that, and that's what happened a lot during the end of 2020 is there was a lot of gifting Right, because while that that twelve million dollar lifetime exemption was there, uh, there were a lot of people who were who were actually utilizing that through gifting and getting it out of their estate. That way, they could protect themselves in the event that the that the estate exemption amount did come down. I'm also reading that there could be changes or possible elimination on the 1031 tax deferred exchange. That actually did get looked at during the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, right? That's why, um, I don't know if you've heard farmers complaining about trading equipment, right? That, that essentially, that's what happened with the equipment is that the, that the 1031 for what we call personal property, right? So farm equipment um, was eliminated, but they did specifically leave in real estate. We've, we've kind of chatted about this around the office and the consensus is that the, was it the National Association of Realtors is about the largest lobbying group there is in the, in the, in the country. So I think it would, I just haven't, I can't imagine that they would do away with that. But again, we're speculating. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good conversation to address though, because if, if you're a landowner and you're on the fence thinking about selling, uh, this could have huge implications. And, you know, we've seen in other years, I can't remember the exact year, Jake, might have been 2008, 2009, somewhere in there, there was similar type speculation. And we had, second half of the year was was really busy, you know. So if you take a, a strong land market and add on that uh, potential tax law changes or if something's actually signed, uh, it, it could really change the land market this fall. What about hunting properties, those types of things? Hunting land, or as I would call it, personal use property, I would think of it no different than a lake cabin. 
yes, you can you can purchase it. Uh, really, there's not going to be any tax deductions in doing so. And then if and when you do sell it, it would be subject to capital gains, right? And of course, the worst part about personal use property is if and when you do sell it, if you sell it for a loss, the loss is disallowed. Heads you lose, tails the IRS wins. If somebody has questions, uh, what do they need to do? If you have questions, feel free to reach out to Jake Franklin at Brady Marts or your local accountant. Our buzz phrase is always, please consult your tax advisor. Thank you, Jake, for being part of our conversation today. Uh, We will have you back on the podcast if we uh, see any of these proposed changes to tax law being implemented. Sure. Thanks for having me. The Well-Grounded Podcast is a presentation of Acres and Shares and the Red River Farm Network. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. It's also available at rrfn.com and acresandshares.com. Until next time, I'm Randy Conan. And I'm Jason Menke. Thank you.